Uh, if you have your Bibles with, with you or your Bible apps, please join me in Genesis chapter seven, uh, 37. Genesis chapter 37. Genesis chapter 37. Uh, last fall, uh, we began our series called The Story of God. The Story of God. Uh, we took a pause for Advent, for Christmas season, and we are going to resume today. In this series, we're looking at the first book of the Bible, uh, Genesis. And the big takeaway is, is this, that despite human failures, God's kingdom flourishes. Despite human failures, God's kingdom flourishes. Despite our evil intentions, despite our rebellious action against the Lord, God is still working for good to make sure his kingdom is established here on this earth. Can I get an amen? Amen. And this truth is found in Genesis, the first book, but also the rest of Scripture. Uh, The first week we looked at how God makes this beautiful and this amazing and good world. And in the center of his creation, he places uh, his images. His images rebel against him, uh, creating their own story, creating their own kingdom. And we were reminded from that story that, hey, whichever story you will believe, uh, God's story or your own story, the story that you will live out all the days of your life. Next week, we saw the flood, and the flood is a response of God giving us what we desire. Because we rebelled against the king, God says, hey, your will be done, which is judgment. But in his mercy, God recreates creation through Noah and his family, who also repeat the same mistake as the first human. And so what God says, you know what? I will be the one who will make sure that my promises, that my kingdom is established, even though it may cost him, even though it may cost God all that he can give. And the rainbow or the bowl in the sky is a reminder that God will complete his promises and it will cost him something. We continued and looked at Genesis chapter 11, the Tower of Babylon. And from there, we saw that humans were meant to build a city. But in this particular story, they're making a city not to honor the king, but to honor themselves, to make a a name for themselves. And so God comes down because God is looking for people who he can make a name of. And we find that in the next story of a guy named Abraham. God says, leave your family. Go to a land where I will bless you and give you land and give you seed and give you plenty of people who you'll be the father of. In chapter 15, God comes to Abraham and through this weird ancient ritual, Abraham falls asleep while God stands between the pieces saying, hey, Abraham, I'll be the one to make sure this promise takes place, to bless the world. Even if you guys don't do it, God is the one who will do it. Which reminds us that today, God is faithful to his promises to you and I. We took a pause. Well, we continued from there, looked at the story of Solomon and Gomorrah. And from there, we saw that sin is not only personal. It's not simply what we do. It's infiltrated into all creation. It's extremely costly. There's that famous saying that basically says, sin will take you further than you want to go and make you stay longer than you want to stay and will cost you more than you're willing to or able to pay. So don't don't just flirt with sin. Avoid sin at all cost. Next story was Genesis chapter 22, the famous story where God says, Abram, take your only son, Isaac, 
and sacrifice him. And so Abram goes on this journey with his son. And what we discover, God stops him from doing so. What we discover is Abram actually is living out his faith. See, in Genesis 15, we're told that Abraham places allegiance in the Lord. He, he put his faith, his trust in, in Yahweh, in God, and it was credited to him as righteousness because of his faith. And his faith is played out. It's embodied in Genesis chapter 22, being willing to offer up to God his best, trusting that God the king can even bring him back from the grave if he had to. The thing about that story, we see Jesus in there as well. Because like Abraham, Jesus is God's only begotten son. But unlike Isaac, unlike Abraham, Christ will be the lamb who truly is sacrificed for you and I. The last episode was looking at Jacob, the grandson of Abraham. And the thing about Jacob is, although Jacob already has the blessing, in fact, before he's born, God says, he, you will rule and reign. The blessing of Abraham will go through you. He already has that. But because of his shutfa, because of his determination, he makes it his goal to obtain or try to obtain what he already has. And so God meets him one night, and God literally breaks him. Reminder for us, God has already blessed us. And the question is, are we willing to receive what God has given us, not try to earn what is already ours? Because when we do, eventually we too may be broken. Today we continue this amazing series, the story of God series, looking at the son of Jacob, the next generation. So if you please join me in Genesis chapter 37, we'll begin looking at verse 3. And I would ask you if you're able to please stand up for the reading of God's word. Genesis chapter 37, beginning in verse 3. And God's word says this. Now Israel, also known as Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he, Joseph, had been born to him in his old age, and he made an ordinate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and what he said. And then he had another dream. He told his brothers, listen, he said. I had another dream, and this time the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well, his, and his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. The chapter introduces us to a guy named Joseph. 
And Joseph, out of all of his brothers, 12 brothers, he is loved the most by his father. Uh, so much so that his father gives him this ornate robe. Now, now you would think Jacob, from the last episode, uh, Jacob learned his lesson that it's not a good idea to favor certain kids. My students at school always ask me, hey, Mr. E, who's your favorite class? Who's your favorite student? And I ask them, who's your favorite parent? And some of them actually give me an answer, which is kind of scary. <laughs> Favoritism never works. And here it doesn't work either. But yet Jacob has a favorite son. And because of that, he gives them above and beyond. The idea of your Nate robe is simply this. Uh, if all the other kids got pretty good cars, they got Honda Civics, they got Jeeps, they got uh, Beamers and Mercedes, uh, Joseph got the Lambo. Can I get an amen? amen. If all the other kids uh, went to pretty good school and got pretty good education, Joseph went to the elite private institution, had the best education ever possible. If all your other kids got amazing clothes, they got, uh, I don't know, what's, what's, what's some good clothes? Uh, I don't know, okay? They got some pretty good clothes. Uh, Joseph actually got the Lululemon. He got the best of the best. Got the Gucci, Louis Vuitton, right? He got the best of the best. Uh, Food-wise, if they all got pretty good meals at, at mealtime, uh, Joseph got the filet mignon that's medium rare with sushi. He got the best of the best. And the message is this. Joseph. You're the one who will lead the, the clan, the tribe, after the father passes away. Not only this, he then has dreams. He has visions. And in the visions, his brothers are essentially bowing down to him. Doesn't get any better than that. Your siblings serving you. He has a second dream. In the second dream, the celestial bodies, the, the sun, the moon, and the stars are bowing down to him. But what's interesting is in ancient Hebrew culture, there were, there were thoughts that the stars were either symbols of the gods or the gods themselves. And so in his dream, it's as if the angelic beings are bowing down to him. What's interesting is Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, hey, Christians, hey, the church, don't you know that one day you will judge the angels. Joseph's dream here is a representation that one day even young beings will bow down and serve us. And guess what? This is God's wonderful plan. This is what God desires to happen for us in this world. And scripture is full of it. Over and over again throughout scripture, God has planned, God has wonderful things stored for humanity. The first humans are made in God's image. Noah is said to be the person who provides rest for humanity. Abraham is the blessing to the world. I love what N.T. Wright, the scholar, says. He says, for God so loved the world that God gave us Abraham, because through Abraham came Christ, who is the true blessing for the whole world. It continues through Isaac and Jacob. Moses, the leader of the most amazing salvific event in all of scripture, he leads that event. Joshua provides the people the opportunity to enter into the land and receive a sort of rest. Deborah is blessed to be the only good judge in the book of Judges. David begins the, the dynasty from which Christ will come from. Mary is the mother of the Son of God. Paul is foundational in creating and shaping the Christian movement. All of this is God's good plan. 
for his humans. And that's true for you and for me. If you have air in your lungs, if you can breathe, hear me well, the Lord has wonderful, amazing, and good plans for you. Oh, that's not good enough, guys. The Lord has wonderful and good plans for you, my friend. I know it's cold outside, right? But that is the truth. He has great plans for you. So what are those plans that he has for you? What he has in store for you? What has he told you that he wants to do through you? Not only that, but he's also giving you dreams, passions, skills. That's a part of his plan. But I'll say this, there are times when it seems like God's plan, the dreams that he's given us, the passions that we have don't pan out. They don't happen. It seems like, hey, what God had in store for me, what he communicated to me, what he revealed to me is not working out at all. Uh, Becca and Dirk were a couple who were uh, really good at repairing and fixing cars. And so about eight years ago, they started an auto body repair shop. And things were going really well. They were growing slowly. They were producing. They were having fun. Things were going really well. And then about six years ago, the opportunity came to buy a bigger shop. And so they did. From the same time, something happened across the world. COVID. Not only that, the economy began to go downhill. And through the process of all this, their, 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 their payments, their monthly payments increased five times than what they originally purchased this building for. They were taking on more jobs just to make ends meet. And to make it worse, one of their friends vandalized his own car so that the insurance can give him money to make it better. Amen to that. Someone's with me this morning. They warned the friend, hey, don't do this. It won't work out for you. But the friend got mad at them and sued them. And they paid $4,000 in lawyer expenses, but settled for an extra $2,000. And here they are, about seven years later, eight years later, barely making it, selling things so that they won't go bankrupt. Their dreams, their aspirations, their, their passions are not working out. This happens with us as... Well, that job that you pursued, that that God made a way for, things are going downhill. That relationship, I mean, God literally told you, I want you to go marry that person, told that person you're going to marry them. And they said, yes, the gospel to me as well. And you get married to this person or you start dating this person and things aren't working out so well. You spend four years at college getting this amazing degree. Only to find out that in the business world, your degree means basically nothing. What happens when your dreams, your aspirations, the plan that God had for you is not panning out? We see it happening here with with Joseph. We're told that one day his brothers go out to graze their father's sheep. They go to Shechem. And in verse 18, we're told this. Joseph goes out to see them, but verse 18, they saw Joseph coming in a distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, 
said to each other, Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns well. And said that ferocious animal devoured him. And then we will see what will become of his dreams. They want to make sure that God's plan for Joseph, that his dreams and passions will not happen by ending his life. And Joseph is only saved because Reuben uh, wants to save him out of a selfish ambition to make things right with his father because he did some terrible things in the past. Eventually, Reuben leaves. And then in verse 26, the brothers do this. Uh, Judah says to his brother, uh, what will we gain if you kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not lay a hand on him ourselves. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. And the brothers agreed to sell him. This family is jacked up. They're messed up. Right? The whole family from Abraham, who God chose, they're messed up. Isaac is messed up. Uh, Jacob for sure is messed up. And these guys are messed up. Every single biblical character, except for maybe Daniel and obviously Jesus, they're all messed up people. They would not serve here at church. Think about that. They wouldn't be preachers. Some of them are not good friends. And yet God uses them. Which tells me something. There's hope for me. There's hope for us. They're completely messed up. Even Joseph is messed up. In verse 6 and 8, he has these dreams. And I don't know about you, if I have dreams about ruling over people, I'm not going to tell them that. But he tells them in a more bragging tone. Even Joseph himself is trying to get in the way of God's plan. See, sometimes uh, other people, other things get in the way of what God has planned for us. But there are times when we ourselves get in the way of what God is doing. At least we try to do so. And when our dreams, when our passions, when the Lord's plan doesn't seem like it's going to work out, we usually respond with being disillusioned with the dream, with the plan. Or we leave the faith. God told me this. God led me here and things are not working out. Well, you know what? Forget you, Lord. I'm going a different direction. And that could be our response. But I think our text shows us here a third response that's even better. And that response is this. Keep the faith. Keep the faith and don't let it rot. Don't let it fade out. Or as I want to say it this way, even when skies are gray, don't let your faith decay. That's good. <laughs> even when skies are gray, don't let your faith decay. When things are not working out, when life seems difficult, do not let your faith, your trust, your commitment to the Lord fade out because his good plans are in store for you but why why keep the faith and not simply give up on him and his dreams his plan for me uh, i was on an airplane ride this is several years ago and we're flying i think it's going back to dfw and it's pretty cloudy and it's pretty bumpy uh, flight i'm afraid of heights so it's not looking good for me look out the window you can't see nothing it's dark. You can't see nothing. And then it dawned on me, if I can't see anything, I have, a, I have pretty good eyesight, guess who else can't see anything? 
the pilots. And that pit in my stomach began to creep back up. Oh my gosh, you're going to die. But I was only comforted by the fact that pilots have instruments in front of them that tells them where they're at, how fast they're going, how high they are. In our text today, why should we not let our faith uh, decay or, or rot out or fade out? We're given two instruments, two reasons why to keep the faith. The first is this, God's providence. God's providence. God's providence is a theological term that speaks of God as king uh, sustaining, upholding, governing, and directing the created order towards its final good. As the king, God is working, God is doing things to bring things to where he wants them to go. And there's nothing that can stop them. Uh, when I was in college, I played a game called uh, Halo. Video game. Any, any Halo fans in here? Yeah, let's go, all right? Awesome. Uh, my brother's friend was the 14th best Halo player, ranked, ranked player in the world back in 2010. When I heard about this, let's play, bro. I got you. And we're playing. I'm doing pretty good sometimes. And guess what? He's laughing at me. I'm like, bro, you're about to die. He's laughing at me. Why? Because he knew where things were going. He was good enough. No matter what I did, what he wanted would end up happening. Check this out. God is powerful enough to make sure his plans happen despite ourselves. Have you noticed I said when it appears, when it seems like God's plan is not going to work out? Right? God's plans will always work out regardless of what we are because God is God. Yes. Over and over again, God's desires happens. The one who spoke life into existence, he said, let there be light, let there be time, boom, time happens. Let there be land, land appears. God spoke things into existence. Is he not powerful enough to make sure that his plans for your life will happen? Yeah. He's a good, amazing God. And because he's good, guess what? His plans for you are really good. They're really good. I mean, that random text you might get from somebody out of nowhere, that random email, that random connection you might make, that check in the mail at just the right time, that random meal that comes to your house when you guys need food, that random opportunity, they're not random, they're God's providence for you to make sure that your that God's plan for you takes place. And because he's good, his plans for you are absolutely good. I love what Paul says in Philippians chapter 1. He says this, He who began a good work in you were carried on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. This is our God. He's a good God. His plans will always work out for our good. We see it here in our text. The end of verse 14 says, here's Joseph going to meet his brothers. He gets to Shechem. Now, why the grazing in Shechem is a whole interesting story that I don't have time to cover right now. Look it up later. But it's interesting. He gets to Shechem. No one's there. And then verse 14, the end of it says this. When Joseph robbed at Shechem, a man found him wandering around in the fields and asked them, what are you looking for? 
Joseph replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they're grazing the flocks? They moved on from here, the man answered. I heard him say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. Throughout the years, different scholars and theologians have wondered and talked about who's this random person in the field? And there's three major popular options. Option one, random person. Just a man, happened to be there, saw what happened, and told Joseph. Option two, it's an angel sent from God to help Joseph out. A third option, that this random man is the pre-incarnate Christ. Christ appearing before his incarnation, as we know from the virgin birth. Now, why could it be the incarnate Christ? Well, the last time one of our major characters saw a random person in the middle of nowhere, Genesis 32, Jacob wrestling God, that man ended up being who? God. Along with this, this man seems to know awfully too much. And the man introduces himself in the same way that Jesus does in John chapter 1 to Andrew and to the women, saying, what are you looking for? And this man appears to not only lead Joseph, but to direct him, to guide him in such a way. So here's a man who finds a person who's wandering, and he leads him to a situation that would end up, end up being a ruler in Egypt, just like Christ seeking and finding the lost, making them priests and kings of his God. So some say this is Christ who's appeared to Joseph to guide him and direct him. Now, whichever option you choose, a random person, an angel, or the pre-incarnate Christ, we cannot deny that this man is the manifestation of God's providence working in Joseph's life. Why do I say this? If Joseph does not find his brothers... He does not end up being a slave in Egypt, which means he will not be a ruler in Egypt, which means when the famine happens, people are going to die. And the famine will not be in Egypt, which means they won't be slaves in Egypt, which means God will not deliver them through Moses with a mighty hand and a strong arm, which means Israel will not experience God's amazing wonders that we see in Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers, which means David does not exist. Why? Because David is the great-great-grandson of Rahab, who Israel met traveling from Egypt to the Promised Land. Which means Jesus is not called the son of David or a greater Moses, which means we're in trouble. (laughs) This man is directing Joseph to where God wants Joseph to go, even if it includes slavery. This is the providence of God. When things are not working out in your life, when things aren't as you expected or assumed or wanted it, when skies are quote-unquote gray, because of God's providence, he's working. He's active. So, don't your faith decay because God, God's providence working in your life. A second reason is found in the last verse of this chapter. Verse 36, it says, Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. This verse here is kind of odd, the placement of it. The story begins talking about Joseph and his dreams and God's plans for him. 
And then in verse 18, the story will shift and focus on the brothers. And they're placed in the same position that Cain was in Genesis chapter 4. Right? Joseph's favor. What's the response going to be? Act like Cain or act a different direction? The next chapter, chapter 38, is not about Joseph, but about one of the brothers, Judah. We come back to Joseph in chapter 39, where the first verse there is the same word for word as chapter 30, or as, as verse 36 of our chapter here. It's an odd placement here. Now, I believe that all of Scripture is God-breathed, that the words of Scripture are inspired by God to equip us to make us more like Him. But I also believe the, the structure, the way it's organized, is also inspired by God. This verse is placed here to let us know that God has not forgotten Joseph. The story is about to be on, on the brothers, yes, but God has not forgotten Joseph in his placement of slavery. Don't let your faith decay because God has not forgotten you. This year, you will face difficulties, gray skies. Relationships are going to be broken. Maybe even death, sickness, frustrating moments. And in those moments, our God has not forgotten you. And his plans for you his dreams that he's given you are going to work out. Along with that, I would say he, because he's not forgotten you, he's with you in those moments. There's a well-known song that has lines to alert that goes like this. I'm not the best singer, but please bear with me. And it says, there'll be another in the fire standing next to you. There'll be another in the waters holding back the seas. And should I ever need reminding of how he set me free, I count the joy of every battle because I know that's where he will be. During moments of gray skies, during the fires and the seas, during the battles, the Lord is with you, working to make sure his plans for you, that his dreams that he's given you, his, his passion that he's installed in you, the skills he's gifted you with, to make sure those things are going to happen. We cannot mess up God's plans for us, even in the moments of slavery. This weekend, we're celebrating MLK, Martin Luther King Jr. Why celebrate him? Well, because of his stance against slavery, oppression, and injustice. He said, I'm against this because God is against this. God hates slavery. God hates injustice. God hates when people are oppressed. Which then has me ask the question, if God hates these things, why lead Joseph into slavery? Why take Joseph into a situation where he's oppressed? Yes, God's providence, amen to that. Yes, he's not forgotten us, amen to that as well. But I'll argue this. Because we only know God based on what God does through human history, and because in human history, humans have rebelled against God and oppressed each other, 
we come to know God as the great deliverer. You'll catch that. Joseph is in slavery because one day he will discover God to be the one who delivers him out of slavery. And later on, his people out of slavery. We can worship him as the rescuer, as the deliverer. Now, we're told about 2,000 years ago, the greatest deliverance happened on the cross, where Christ literally died to set us free from sin. And he rose again to liberate us from death itself. Christ came, Christ died to deliver us, to save us, to rescue us. And in the process, he's working to make sure that God's plan in your life, in my life, that your dreams, that your passions that God has given you, that they will pan out. So in the process, don't let your faith decay. Keep trusting, keep moving, because he is with you even in those moments. Would you pray with me? Lord, you are in the fire. You are in the waters. You're in the gray skies. And God, you are moving, you are working to make sure that your plans, that your dreams that you've placed in us, that the passions that we have, that they will be carried on to completion. And because of that, Lord, we thank you. We praise you. We adore you. If we're facing difficulties right now, Lord, meet us there. Help us to keep the faith. And in the process, see your providential work at hand. See your presence being near to us. And to see you as a great deliverer. Father, we love you. We adore you and praise you. In Christ's mighty name, everyone said, Amen.